Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. We are continuing our uh, subject about the state of the equine veterinary practice industry um, with Dr. Madeline Ward because it is so, so important to horse owners. And um, I'm tonight we're actually going to talk about steps that you can do as horse owners. So welcome, Madeline. Thank you so much for coming back. I really appreciate um, you spending more time with us on this incredibly important topic. No, very happy to do it. And I think maybe it's just as well we got cut off because I think we could have talked for three or four more hours. And, yeah. and this also has given us a chance to, you know, get some of the questions that were on the chat. So we make sure we get people's concerns addressed because this is a topic that's going to be ongoing. And I'll just briefly, uh, I graduated from Texas A&M in 1980, a whole different world. And as I mentioned on the first call, I came out of veterinary practice. I worked through vet school. At that time, I was able to graduate after five years, two years of, of undergraduate and three years in veterinary school, worked the whole time, graduated with almost more, no debt, went to a practice where I had uh, been working um, before I went to vet school. So it was just, you know, it was like the, the perfect, you know, world for me. Yeah. And um, and then went on to establish my own practice in 1985. And after 10 years in practice, I, uh, you know, got really frustrated with conventional medicine and began to go more into the holistic route. And that has served me really well. And that is something I want to touch on, because one thing that I noticed is that as I went more holistic with my practice and minimizing vaccination, minimizing drugs, getting the horses barefoot when possible, as close to a natural diet, natural environment, took in the temperament typing, you know, my emergency calls basically went to zero. Wow. So um, I know that that was a, a real important question that um, some of the people had, you know, because what may happen is, is that you may wake up one morning and walk out to the barn and have an injured horse and make your call to your favorite local veterinarian and find out their practice is closed and no one bought it. Right. And so then what do you do? Right. And, and so, you know, I think that one of the things this is um, going to force horse owners to do is to become better at dealing with their own horses issues, which, you know, that's not a bad thing. I mean, we can help our horses a lot, but of course there are always those times when we need the veterinarian to come out and, and yeah. do whatever. But um, I think we're going to have to become a lot more self-reliant in yeah. many ways. And so the more we can learn about good horse management, about good health practices, et cetera, um, that's going to serve us, but it doesn't solve this problem. No, no, it, it doesn't solve the problem at all. It's a stopgap um, until we can change the, turn the tide on things and start turning out, you know, more equine veterinarians that are um, wanting to, to go to the rural areas. Right. Because okay. So there'll be plenty of vets in the urban areas for as far as the eye can see. So, so let's start with the first question that we had from last time, which is what can we do as horse owners to support our large animal vets? Um, and specifically, what do the vets want from us? So, okay. I, you know, I think this is really important because um, they, I, the job of a large animal vet is a very hard job. 
Um, and I think sometimes people don't appreciate just how much hard work it is and how actually dangerous it is. Mm -hmm. um, especially when you have an animal that's wounded or injured in some way and that is in pain, that only, you know, magnifies tenfold the problem. Right, right. It, that, is, that is absolutely true. So I think we covered... I think we covered some of the, the things, but we can sure go back to it. So, um, of course, we, you know, we mentioned the, the danger part and that that is where you as an owner can have a huge effect because you can get your horses gentle. And um, now a horse that's in pain or, um, you know, in a violent colic, I mean, there's still going to be danger, but if you've done your job, to, to get your horses gentle as possible under good conditions than when the adverse conditions are there. You have more to work with. You have a horse that's more trusting, more willing to allow a stranger to do what, what needs to be done to, to um, cooperate and, um, and, you know, just, to, just be a, a treatable horse that, so nobody gets hurt. So what are some of the basics? And when you say, um, in, in terms of handleability, what does a veterinarian need to do that horse owners could make sure that their horses are comfortable with, at least when all is well? Okay. Um, absolutely, you need to be able to get your hands in a horse's mouth and handle all parts of their body easily, that, you know, their ears, their, you know, be able to put your hands around their eyes and they allow that to happen, be able to pick up all four feet. And, um, you know, move, move a horse around and, you know, on the end of a lead rope or the end of a lunge line to be able to evaluate them. I think that, you know, have a horse that will lower its head for examination. I mean, they, these are all, these are all just kind of horse, basic horse skills that, um, sometimes we don't think about and, um, and, you know, and just when you're going out and you're grooming your horse, just take your time and, and get your hands a little wet so it's not so, uh, you know, hard on the horse and just get your hands in their mouth and, you know, pull their tongue and open their mouth and look in their teeth and, and just let them know. It's like, you yeah, know, this is just something we do, like picking your feet up and um, handle their ears and pick their tail up and be able to lift their tail up over their back and move it all directions so that if someone goes to put a thermometer in, they're not going to get kicked or, you know, be scooting away or, or needs to do a rectal exam, you know, that the horse is going to be okay with those things, you know, just kind of have it in the back of your mind, you know, what, what does this horse need to be used to and comfortable you know, I think with? That's where Linda Tellington Jones and her T-Touch work has excelled so greatly because uh, it's yeah. so really great at helping horses who are not comfortable with those ideas mm -hmm. uh, to become very comfortable in a non invasive, non-threatening way. In other words, you're not forcing the horse into it, but right. you're, or you're getting the horse educated so that these are normal things for the horse and not surprises and actually feel good. Yeah. And it's true. And, and the thing is, is that if, when you do it at home, you can take your time and do kind of the advanced retreat approach, you know, where, where you go and, and you feel the horse is getting uncomfortable and just back away. And in that way, you're honoring the horse and you're not waiting until it has to be done in that moment. Right. So you, you get to just to get them accustomed to, to you know, all kinds of, of different things being being done with them. And, and um, you know, maybe you won't be necessarily giving them uh, injections, but you can kind of mimic that 
with you know with pinching their skin and and maybe even you uh, you involve treats you know with it if you have a horse that's maybe a little needle shy that you start you know rubbing that area and and kind of pinching that area but on their neck between your fingers where they would get an IV or an intramuscular injection and and you feed them some treats at that time to just sort of get them with a new association for that and and you know those kinds of things make your i mean that's probably that some of the most danger that i was ever in was trying to give a vaccination to a horse that didn't want to be vaccinated wow yeah something as simple and routine as that and you you wouldn't think it would be um so traumatic but it can be for a lot of horses oh yeah absolutely and they have no problems with body slamming you and you know other you know various things so the you know those are just those are just the kind of things that you know, it may not seem important because you're like, well, I don't really, you know, plan on doing any injections with them, but you just don't know when, when it may have to happen for whatever reason. So let's talk a moment about the care and feeding of the veterinarian. What can horse owners do to make sure that um, the veterinarian's job, you know, is as easy as possible? Uh, You know, like if I want, if I was like, there was only one vet and I wanted to make sure that that vet wanted to come to my place to look at my horses. What are some of the tips and tricks you can give us that, that, you know, that make you more willing to go out? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, there's the usual things is that like, say you need to be able to pay for the services and you want to pay at the time of the visit and not, you know, I mean, like say veterinarians are not accountants. And, um, so that's that is really important but i would say probably the biggest thing that i needed from my clients is i wanted them to be to educate themselves and and not depend on me you know yes they could bring me in on on discussions but um i wanted to know that when my client called that they were able to describe to me you know what was going on with the horse that they would have been able to do a a physical exam on the horse so that I wasn't making an emergency trip only to find out that that it wasn't really didn't really need it wasn't really an emergency you know exactly and one thing that I I don't think I mentioned on our Friday call that I think is really good is that when you know when I found out about this service I, I mean this um, subject and the challenges I started looking around well what is available to people that don't have a veterinarian and one of the things that I found is there's an app that was actually done by Doug Thal. He's a veterinarian here in New Mexico, and it's called the Stall Side Vet. And oh. it's really a fabulous little app. It's not expensive, and he's he's you can tell that he's really put a lot of work into it. And um, so you can get that app and one of the things that it has on there and it has videos that describe it, it shows how to do what he calls a, you know, a, a whole horse exam. Okay. I just looked at tried to look it up on my iPhone and it didn't come up. So maybe I need to go to their website to look that up, but that's a great idea because, you and this is where. You should have to go. Yeah. You should um, have to go. Let me just see here. I make sure I said it right. Uh, Cause I got it I downloaded. Horse side vet. I told, I said stall side, it's horse side. No, horse side vet. Okay. Yep. That's it. I'm glad you checked. Yep. So horse side vet. Yep. And he just really has done a great job and I've gone through quite a bit of it. And of course it's from a conventional medical model, 
but I have to say that he's he's really very conservative and he on his drugs he gives um advantages and disadvantages and side effects and and um it's it's I you know I just I I haven't found anything on it that I didn't agree with you know 100% and the only thing that you know that I can add to to that is that you know there's times when you can do things holistic approaches that are not going to interfere with any kind of treatments that would come from your your regular vet but maybe they mean you don't have to call the regular vet. Yep, I'm just gonna hold this up so that oh, it's out of focus, but it, it is available on the iPhone. It is the Horse Side Vet Guide and it's $4.99. So um, that, I think that's a great resource. And you know, the phones that we have now, I'm just gonna type this in, Side Vet Guide uh, on iPhone. Mm -hmm. And it's probably available on Android too, I'm sure. Um, but I, I have an iPhone. Um, you know, our, our phones actually are super handy because we can now take pictures and videos of horses and send exactly. them to the vet. And, um, and so they know what they're walking into and they know if they have what they need walking into whatever it is. Um, I think so often, you know, it's someone says my horse has a colic. Um, and since that can, you know, if you can send a little video, they can mm -hmm. see how severe it is. Not that you should delay on a colic, but sometimes it's something that, it, you know, um, is like, I got to get there now, or, you know, I can not break all the rules and drive there a little more. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, ab absolutely. You know, and so this having that, you know, having, having educated yourself that you can tell your vet over the phone, you know, this is what is pulses. This is what the respiration I'm hearing sounds on the left side of the abdomen, but not on the right side is capillary refill time is, is 1.5 seconds and his gums look pink and, you know, and it just, it's so, so much easier, you know, for the vet to determine, um, you know, do I need to drop everything and go or are we, you know, we're good here. And, right. and, and that's where, well, you know, from a holistic point of view, you know, you can, I, I always say, if you have something, you know, like a colic, you can call the vet and say, yeah, this is going on. You know, I'm going to give him some nucks and check back with you in an hour. And, you know, so your vet at least has kind of got in their mind. It's like, I might have a colic to go see, but you're doing, then doing things that you know, you know, to do because you've educated yourself, you've got things on hand, you've got an emergency, you know, first aid kit that has, you know, homeopathic remedies, you've got some herbs on hand, you've got some probiotics on hand, you've got bandage materials on hand to, you know, to stop a badly, you know, bleeding wound. And, and, you know, you can, you can do your end. And then, you know, and then the vet can, can be there when, you know, when they can be there. Right. Because yeah. as we, as this crisis continues, the location of veterinarians is going to be, especially as you say, in the rural areas, it's going to be further and further from the horse. Right. Right. And so the further it is away, A, the vet may not be able to get there at all. B, yeah. by the time they get there, if it's a colic, it may be too late. Yeah. Um, you know, and C, it, it, there's, it's that being able to, um, properly assess so that, you know, the vet knows what they're walking into. And I think that's so important. Um, I think I mentioned last time that on Martha's Vineyard, they no longer have a large animal vet. Mm -hmm. 
So they have actually formed a, um, a, a group to work with animal control in case there is a horse that needs to be put down rather than having the horse writhe in pain for hours and hours waiting for a vet to get there. They've come up with a system where animal control can help euthanize a horse. Well, that's, that's sad, but that's, you know, that's a great idea. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but good for them. Yes. Um, and so this is where um, people in rural areas really need to talk to their animal control and their sheriffs and that sort of thing. And um, I'll see if I can't get uh, Laura to come in and talk about what they're doing on Martha's Vineyard, because, you know, again, we're looking at stopgap measures. We're looking at right. things that people can do right now because the crisis is upon us right. um, and not get caught out in, in the situation and then find that you have no resources and no recourse. Well, um, exactly. And, and then if and then if you do need to haul the horse, maybe you, you have to haul the horse two or three hours. You have skills to get that horse stabilized. Right. And right. Um, and, you know, and that's the other thing, too, is like you may not own a truck and trailer, but at least have access to a horse to a truck and trailer. And that's the other thing to add. Make sure your horse will load under all conditions into any kind of trailer. And um, so that's, you know, that's the thing that you hope that you'll never need, but you you have that skill available to you. Right. And, and sometimes people don't have access to a wide variety of trailers to teach their horse to load in a wide variety of trailers. But that's where, um, you know, forming groups, mm -hmm. uh, you know, friends who have different trailers and having yep. trailer loading party day. Yeah, yeah. that's a great idea. It, yeah. You know, exactly. And so that it's, you know, it's done when it's a, you know, when it's a fun thing, not when, you know, the, the more things you do with your horse when there's no energy around it, the easier it is to do when, when there's a crisis. Right. Right. So, so, okay. So pay the vet and that's really important. And I think a lot of people um, might feel a little stretched at the moment, but the problem is the vet's already outlaid an awful lot to get there. And so no, knowing that they don't have to worry to try and collect the bill is yeah. super important, you know, exactly. um, and you want your vet to be ac accessible and willing to return. Right. Yeah, that is, that is absolutely, that was one thing that I did in my practice um, pretty quickly is I went to, a, you know, cash only and it just, it, it simplified my life, you know, so much and my, uh, my help that I had. I mean, I wanted them to be able to help me with the animals, not have accounting, you know, skills. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was lucky that I could manage to get back to the clinic with the checks and then get them into the bank. So, right. you know, well, and now with PayPal and Venmo and Zelle and all that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a little yeah. bit easier. Yeah, um, it is. Definitely. So that, you know, but that's, but don't wait for them to like have to harangue you for the bill, pay them or now have you heard of, or do you know of um, some practices that are doing more of a, um, an annual type system where you pay for equine wellness on an annual basis. And then, you know, if there's, I think that like, that covers your, your general care so that the vet coming out sees your horse. Because one of the things is that your vet does not see your horse until there's a crisis and therefore doesn't know your horse and your horse doesn't know your vet. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And I have heard of that and it's kind of a double-edged sword because um, I totally, you know, I totally get that, that you want, you want your vet to have a record and your vet wants to know, you know, everything that's been done with your horse. 
But what I'm hearing is some of those plans are like a guarantee that you're going to spend a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars, you know, with on a preventive program that you may not, you know, that may not be what you want, you know, for your horse. So I think that you might almost do better to say, you know, is there just a retainer fee to okay. keep me as a client? You know, and, and not necessarily be, you know, here's it's like some of those colic programs. Um, like if you feed this supplement, you can be on this colic program. But then when you read in the fine line, it's also and you must vaccinate your horse for all these things and deworm six times a year and and do all these other things to actually be paid on the program that you may not agree to do. So, you, you know, so I think that that um, yeah, so but maybe there is something that there is like an annual um, fee for just a retainer fee to, to, you know, to have a client. I think I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's a great, a great well, idea. You know, and that's the thing, because as we talked in the other webinar, um, you know, the, the cost of getting through vet school is so high. And so when the owner only calls you because they have an emergency, you know, I think that vet is going to look at, you know, is this a regular client of mine? In fact, a lot of them, if it's yeah. not their regular client, they won't, they won't come. Period. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I did uh, as soon as I could, you know, when I got here, was called the local vet and, and took my horses in for a Coggins test and, you know, and just established myself as a client. You know, I hope I will never have to use their services, but I want, you know, and I hauled them, you know, was happy to haul them in and, right. you know, made the appointment, you know, well ahead of time. But I want, I want that my, I want them to have a record, you know, of my horses and have seen them. Right. You know, because otherwise it would be really, it would be tough if you just wait for an emergency. So it sounds like developing a rapport with your veterinarian is really important. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I do. Um, and because so many of them have different types of programs, like some have the wellness program, others don't. Mm -hmm. um, but be, in some way, getting to know them so that they at least know your horse or even just having them come out for a general exam or, you know, annual films on their feet or something mm -hmm. where right. they have seen this horse before there's a crisis. Right. Exactly. And yeah, I would have loved to, for them to come out so they like know where I live, but that just wasn't an option. They're just too, too busy. You know, I was happy just the first time I called, it was the appointment was for Coggins was six weeks out. Wow. And, yeah. And so I was just like, yeah, if you're that busy, it's all right, never mind. And, you know, and then the, you know, when I called later, it was like a week out and it's like, okay, yeah, that's, that, you know, they must've been able to get things under control a little bit better. Right. And there are also busy times of years. If uh, exactly. somebody's doing a lot of repro, springtime is a busy time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so knowing what the sort of state of the equine industry is in your area in terms of the, you know, whether it's breeding operations or mm -hmm. show operations or trail riding or whatever, so that yeah. you kind of know, you know, you don't, you don't want to like do your routine during their most busy season. They're not going to, they may not be able to come or they wouldn't appreciate you anyway at that point. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I like that idea. And, and if you, you know, if you don't agree with or want to do the full preventive program, I would be willing to say, you know, I will, I will pay a fee to, to have a, you know, guaranteed service if I need you. Right. Which, which I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know that I've heard of anybody doing a retainer fee just yet, but I certainly think that that is something that um, would be a good idea to consider. Mm -hmm. um, right. Because it gets you on their list. It gets you in their, in their, 
you know, well, plant you know, there's there's some human medicine that are using the the concierge service approach, mm-hmm. and where you pay a fee, an annual fee, and then you have access to the doctor directly. You know, oh. like, yeah. So you know, it's like I, you, I can actually call you on the phone. And so, you know, so right now that's probably not feasible because we don't have enough veterinarians. But if we there again, if it's if we start to change our models. Right. And um, start, you know, and say, yes, we want to graduate more equine veterinarians, but with less of a pressure. You know, if we have more veterinarians, then they're able to practice the way they want to practice and not necessarily, you know, be just swamped and, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year, holidays. And, you know, maybe maybe that's maybe that's a choice that some veterinarians make. So maybe I'm not going to have a huge case, you know, a huge number of clients, but the clients that I have pay me whether I come to see their horse or not. You know, in right. other words, I'm kind of like paid to keep the horse healthy rather than, you know, it, it, if you're paying a certain fee to have that veterinarian, then it behooves the veterinarian to keep your horse healthy because then they're still getting the same fee and not having to go, you know, for emergencies and that kind of thing. So maybe that's a model that we throw into the Well, it's not a Chinese model that you pay the doctor as long as everything's healthy and you stop Mm -hmm. paying money. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like that, you know, what a novel concept. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And of course, you know, that, well, I, and I, I jokingly talk at care and feeding, but, you know, when veterinarians arrive, um, if, if they're in uh, need of a facilities or, you know, they're stressed, like just being ready with your horse, having the halter on, having mm-hmm. the horse brought in, you know, right. not having to go out in the field to get him, having somebody there to help with the horse. You know, there's, there's so many things about this that we, we don't consider so what kinds of things, if, you, if you're arriving on the scene on a routine, what kind of things uh, would you like so that, you know, you can be efficient with your time? Yeah. Well, like I say, that, that's perfect. Having the horse caught, being able to be given an um, assessment of the, of the vital signs, you know, on the horse and having a, you know, having hopefully a, a place to work that is covered and you know if it's bad weather inclement weather that is you know blocked from the wind and the and the rain having the dogs put away Mm. um you know it's just you know just basic basic courtesies and having the dogs put away you know a lot of people wouldn't think about that but that's you know if you've got the dogs running around while you're trying to examine a horse it's really much more difficult yeah (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it is. And, and once you've kind of done your assessment and everything, if everything's gone well, yeah, the dogs can come back out again. But, um, but yeah, there's nothing like, you know, picking a foot up for on a horse that's already not feeling well and the dog darts between the legs. And yeah, you know, it's just, you know, those just are the kind of things that, yeah, people don't think about because, you know, they're like good dogs. Um, Right. Turning your cell phone off or at least on silent. Right. Yeah. You know, there's just, yeah, those are, but, and, but mainly a, a, a safe, a safe protected area to work in. That's, you know, that's really huge. Okay. Yeah. So not out in a windstorm, uh, you know, on a, in a muddy paddock with, with, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. 32 yeah. degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Where you've got to, you've got to wade through. Yeah. And you know, it, it is, it's, I mean, I've been there, I've done, I've done all that. Sometimes it's unavoidable. I mean, you know, the horse is back there and it's injured. You got to get back there. That's no problem. Right. right. But, you know, they're just, 
yeah, just kind of, you know, take into consideration. Um, and, and, you know, just this time wise, if, if it's an emergency and you know, your vet's been called away and they've got other people waiting, the more information, like I say, the more information you can share, the more things that you've already done to start to stabilize things. You know, if it's a wound, you've, you've cleaned it up somewhat and, and, um, you know, there's just, yeah, there's just, those, those seem like really little things, but to a vet, they can be, they can be everything. Right. Um, and one of the things I just thought of is, um, easy access to the horse with your truck. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, you know, if you're having to haul stuff from your truck through the muddy, muddy paddock again, you know, right. out to where the, um, not, and it's not always possible, but just thinking yeah. about, you know, if, if you have to get your x-ray equipment out or something else out of your truck and you've got to get it to where the horse is and it's not, not easy, then mm -hmm. it just makes your job that much harder. Yeah. Yeah. And the farriers will say the same thing, you know, I, I, and, and oftentimes if it's possible, it's nice to have that, you know, sort of treatment exam area sort of away from the main barn so that you can have some privacy and fewer distractions you know, maybe it's kind of, you know, back off the side of the hay barn or something that, you know, that you can drive, drive around back and, you know, have access, but then there's not all the, you know, just, just a little quieter environment if possible. That's, that's right. fabulous. And it's, it's, um, it's not about fancy. It's about functional. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Absolutely. absolutely. A dry pad to have the horse stand on a cover over your head to keep the rain off a wind shelter, a wind break of some type and easy access with your truck. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. Okay. Um, so, uh, we have other questions here. Why don't you go ahead and pick, pick another question that we had from last time and let's talk about it. Okay. The, the second question that I thought was really good. And it's like, why not get a local vet to extend his practice by specialists instead of having the specialist spend 250,000 to work on your horse. If I understood that question correctly, it would basically be that that maybe we have a local vet that doesn't have the same level of expertise as the specialist and is able to do the routine, you know, work on your horses. And then if you need the specialist, you refer to the specialist. Is that the way you you took that question? Uh, I'm not sure. I think you could read it in a couple different ways, but let's mm -hmm. let's at least hit that one first. Okay. Yeah, so that's kind of my point with what I was talking about the the program for graduating is specifically an equine veterinarian and being able to shorten the time in school and definitely shorten the um, the expense of school and and graduate with a complete degree to be able to do you know all procedures you know on a on a on a horse. But you're, you know, you're not necessarily going to graduate with that program and immediately start doing colic surgeries. You, you are going to have your ambulatory or your, your practice where you can do the routine colics and you can do your lameness exams and maybe you've got a, you know, a good quality x-ray machine and, and you can, you know, handle all that. But if you have a horse that needs a, um, a colic surgery or they need orthopedic surgery or you need a um, MRI, you know, done on that horse that you have a relationship, you know, with a uh, referral clinic. And that referral clinic handles 
those those kinds of of um, situations, those kind of skill sets. But my to take that kind of a step further, and I'm not sure you know it would how you would do this, but what I would like to see is those referral clinics focus on referrals. That's kind of what you have more of the small animal model. They're not taking that person on as a client. And because you referred to that hospital, the client's like, well, why don't I just want to use them as a vet? And that way I can get everything done at all at one place. That's not really fair to either, you know, that veterinarian that went and got additional schooling to specialize in, you know, surgery or, or whatever it may be. Um, they're not necessarily going to want to be, um, you know, suturing your horse that cut his shoulder. So right, they want to focus like on to, what they're what they do best. I like to see kind of a mutual agreement that if I refer a horse to you, that horse comes back to me, and um, and and you handle what I sent the horse for. The same thing, and I would think that you could probably have a referral clinic and an emergency clinic be under the same roof, and and have like a twenty four hour emergency service or handling horses that need intensive care but then when that horse is is ready to be discharged he's discharged back into the referring veterinarian's practice and and one of the things that we talked about is like well do we you know you want to have a relationship with a veterinarian i would like to see it that if you go to referral hospital you have to be referred by your attending veterinarian you can't well, and that, that works in the, the small yeah. animal world. Um, my cat Buster went to the vet with, for what I thought was going to be getting his teeth cleaned. And it turns out he has a heart problem. So they referred me to the cardiologist right. and he goes every six months to the cardiologist to get another echo, but he right. comes back to his local veterinarian for his routine work. Yeah. And that's, I think that's some of the models that we can follow in small animals. Same with emergency clinic. You know, if the, at the, at five o'clock in the afternoon, um, after five o'clock in the afternoon, you don't call your regular veterinarian, you call the emergency clinic and then the, and then you take the dog to the emergency clinic. And then when you are, you know, at the eight o'clock the next morning, when your regular veterinarian opens up, you take the small animal to your regular veterinarian. And I think we could make something like that. I think that's a very good model. And, but, you know, it's, it's like everything's going to involve cooperation. Right. But yeah, have the referral hospitals for um, after hours and intensive care and specialty procedures. And then, you know, and then you have your regular veterinarian that is handling all your other needs that knows your horses, you know, that's been to your place, that knows your management, you know, knows the horses, other, you know, ongoing chronic conditions or whatever they may be. And that's who is then, you know, kind of um, working with the referral hospital and giving them the information that they need. And so it's a very cooperative um, exchange of the, you know, the rec correct information. And especially if you are, um, you know, if you're the owner of the horse and your horse is, you know, having some severe problem, I mean, you may not be remember the horse's history right. and your veterinarian you know, when he's doing the referral, oh yeah, by the way, you know, this horse has had a couple of colics and here's what we did for it. And here's how he responded. And, right. You know, no, that's really that important. Yeah. Well, and the other piece of that is your veterinarian would actually get some sleep. 
Well, it, you know, it, it's really, I mean, I did all my emergencies for many, many years. And, you know, there's, there's times when you want to make that call. But right. at the same time, there's other times when you're just like, I'm just sitting down to Christmas dinner, taken to the emergency clinic. Right. And, you know, and having that, you know, having that option to be able to do that or what I learned with with my clients when we started doing, you know, this holistic approach and they started keeping homeopathic remedies. If they called me and said, you know, I've got this horse has been colicking and I've already given him three doses of ducks and two doses of chamomile and, and four doses of fast track, he's not any better. I'll just say I'll meet you at the emergency clinic. I'll meet you at the referral hospital. Because that right. horse was pretty much guaranteed going to be at sur- be surgery, so you know, so that's uh, that's why I say I I had so much fewer emergencies, and then when I did have you know that situation, I just I packed my bags, you know, I I knew right. we we're probably making a trip to the referral hospital. And and for all of you listeners, um, we've talked to Dr. Joyce Harmon numerous times about holistic healthcare. So there is plenty of webinars with Wendy that can give you more information about things like homeopathy and and that sort of thing. And I'm certainly uh, willing to to do more of those. Bring bring Dr. Ward back, bring Dr. Harmon back, yeah. um, and talk a bit more about that in other webinars um, because uh, I do think you're right that that having um, these complementary medicines and ways of treatment can really minimize or alleviate a lot of stuff to, or simplify it, I guess is another way to say it. Um, you know, I've treated my horses holistically because they've lived at Joyce's barn since 1999. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. You know, and when there has been an emergency, it's been the, you know, I've had two horses where it was something Joyce was not going to solve. And actually we lost both horses, but um, there's so many times when um, just doing simple things like homeopathy mm-hmm. um, has really turned, turned the situation around. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not just colics, you know, just the, you know, just that horse that's kind of off its food and you're not really sure why, and and you don't necessarily have a diagnosis, but there's some things that you can do that um, kind of help support the immune system and keep the horse comfortable. And nine times out of 10, they just work right through it on their own. And they don't necessarily, not only do they not need to be seen by a veterinarian, but once you call the veterinarian out, they're going to feel like they need to give them something. Yeah. And, you know, they might not even want to give them something, but they're going to feel like they need to, to justify having, you know, come to see the horse. And so many times it's for ourselves as well, you know, letting our own systems handle things is the best way to go. That makes your system stronger. And, um, and, you know, so it just, it works better the next time. Yeah. And again, that, that having that good rapport with the veterinarian so that you can contact them and say, I have this and this, this going on, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I, many, many times Joyce has gotten a text. I have this and this and this going on <laughs> and she just pops back with something and, you know, I know how to handle it because I'm, I, I'm so familiar. I have to say when I first um, brought, moved to, to Virginia and had a horse at Joyce's, I, I had discovered complimentary medicine while I didn't own a horse. Um, and I found myself floundering at first because I didn't know how to use that kind of thing, like homeopathy and stuff on a horse. I, I knew it for myself and, you know, and I had stopped, it, but it was this huge, like brain freeze kind of like, OMG, how do I do this? Right. So, um, 
Uh, well, that I think that's that's such an interesting point because um, part of one part of the biggest thing, and I think Joyce is the same, is that it, you have to change your whole way of thinking. You've got to shift out of this. Oh, this is a symptom that I have to remove. Yeah, and and you have to start asking yourself, oh, I have this symptom. What has caused this? And then you go to the cause is where you want to, you know, to put your focus. So that's one of the things that I talk about with the educating of my clients and why I've continued to travel back to Texas to see my clients for all these years is because they think like I do. They yeah. think holistically. And so I have a lot less of that. Um, he has a fever. What homeopathic remedy can I give him? Yeah. You know, it's like, where do you think that fever came from? Tell me more. <laughs> you know? so, and, and it is, it is that, you know, that we're, it's just so ingrained into us that, that they need a drug. And I know when I was first making the transition to the holistic thinking and, um, you know, had my clients who were working with, and, and I have to say, unfortunately, a lot of the chronic disease I helped contribute to thinking that I was mm. doing the right thing. But I graduated from vet school thinking that I knew everything and that if there was a vaccine that was made, it didn't matter if the disease happened in Africa. You never know. We should vaccinate for it because we know that there's no harm in vaccines. I mean, that's really what I truly believed. And that if they had a fever, my God, they had to be uncomfortable. Let's give them some butte. Or if they took a lame step, well, we don't know what it is, but let's just give them some butte and write them and see if it gets better. I mean, you know, that just was the that was the thinking back then. Yeah. So when we started going to the holistic approach, because what was happening is the horses in my practice were just getting sicker and sicker. They weren't getting healthier. And, you know, the, the chronic colics that started out colicking twice a year were now colicking twice a month. Oh. And the laminitis horses that, you know, had about, you know, maybe just, you know, every third year, if the spring was particularly lush, now chronically lame all the time. And I, because I'd been in the same practice for 10 years, I'm seeing this and I'm thinking, this is not the direction that I want to be going. So when I started bringing in the holistic and people would call me and they would have an issue, I said, well, let's use, you know, this homeopathic remedy. And they're like, mm, I don't know about that. But they yeah. hung in there with me. And sometimes there were kind of some contentious moments there when I would remind them. It's like, you know, so what do, should we just keep doing what hasn't been working? Yeah. And, you know, you'd have to have some of those hard, hard conversations. But I do I do really I mean, I, I have no doubt that 10 years in, in a strictly conventional practice and then probably 10 years where I did some of both and then 20 years where I've done almost exclusively holistic the horses on a holistic program are are unbelievably more healthy. Yeah. Have so many fewer problems. So maybe that is, you know, I never want anybody to be without access to a, a trained equine veterinarian. But if that is going to happen, then I would say have your horse on a holistic program so that you're at least less needy, you know, of a veterinarian. Yeah, you're not you're not um dancing around all the symptoms, you're actually getting to the root and, right. and creating a healthier animal through mm -hmm. a holistic process. And, and it is a process. Cause like I said, I can remember when I first started, you know, like I, I was at such a loss. Um, and then, you know, Joyce was there to help me. And of course there's books and there's 
now there's so much more information. I mean, that was 99. And now, you know, just even the webinars that I've produced um, tell people a lot about uh, the alternatives that exist or the mm -hmm. complementary medicine that exists that they can do. Um, and I think people are becoming much more aware of things like nutrition and mm -hmm. sugars and that sort of thing. So overall, um, it's, it's, I think it's a little bit easier um, well, just because yeah. there's so much more information available. Mm -hmm. But you know that so much more information isn't always easier, <laughs> you know, and, and that's part of educating yourself is because there's so much to sort through. And what I would advise to people is look at, you know, find a veterinarian with a system that you agree with and stay with that, um, that teaching. And, and don't be going unless they're, you know, you know, looking up something on the Internet and are going to a supplement, you know, company and, and getting this information. It's like, I'm going to do this. So even though your vet, you know, is maybe not in agreement, you know, with that, you know, find a vet that, that you believe in their system and and stay, you know, do everything they say. Because, you know, it's there, you know, if you, tr you trust them or not, you know, it, yeah. if you don't trust them, keep looking until you find that person information that is consistently uh, given you the um, information that you found valuable repeatedly. And that, and that fits with your belief systems, right? I mean, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So um, let's go back to our questions here. Um, I always think about farriers. This is another question. I always think about farriers. Why does the industry see that profession as different in terms of qualification to practice? Yeah. Well, my, my suggestion on that is don't mention that to anyone. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding because there has, there have been undercurrents of we should bring the farriers under a regulatory uh, body. And I, you know, it's like, don't don't even think about it and um so so far the farriers have have not been um regulated and licensed and you know i'm just saying we don't we don't want that so you know it's just i mean it is i mean fairy is a skill you know just like equine medicine i'm not saying it's any less of of a skill but i would rather see you know less regulation than more. So, um, and education, I mean, and I think that that's, you know, we're seeing more and more education available for farriers. Um, mm -hmm. um, is it, and, and there and, are, there are actually, uh, quite a, a increasing number of farriers who are also veterinarians. Yes. And I actually know a couple, um, and I think that that is really awesome because they can then, bring, bring, uh, how do I put this? I think that having been a farrier first in many instances brings in a kind of groundedness into their veterinary practice. <laughs> oh, ab absolutely. Because, you know, like I say, no foot, no horse. Right. So, so I think, and that's, and that's where there again, I keep coming back to having a three-year program, a two-year of classroom and clinics and a one-year paid internship there could be, in addition to the body workers, you know, that we talked about that them, you know, being saying, yes, I'm going to go through and, and get my veterinary degree, my equine vet degree. I imagine that there'll be some farriers that will do the same that, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah, I want to be able to um, do hoof surgery 
And, you know, and I want to be able to do venograms and, and specialize in laminitis or, you know, or specialize in, in surgery of the foot. And, um, yeah, so I think that I think that by taking the other species out of the program, you're not turning out an any less educated equine veterinarian. You're just concentrating that time and schooling on the subject of horses. And in many ways, even creating a specialist, because if you've got somebody who's an equine dentist and then they become a, a DVM, right. they've already got their specialty. They know it well. Yep. Now they yep. have, you know, they can give the drugs themselves to the horse to sedate them to do the teeth mm-hmm. rather than like the, you know, getting the veterinarian there and making sure you've got all the appointments. And, you know, it just simplifies things. Um, yeah, I just I think that it's, it's a it's a it'll be a changing uh, paradigm. Right. And, and that will be, you know, that will be a, a little you know, challenging to do, but I'm just saying, don't change. I'm not saying we change the current program that we have. You know, you still have that veterinarian that wants to go to eight years of school and have all their options available to speak, treat any species, go into research, um, do whatever, you know, whatever they want to do. But for that veterinarian, like I say, you know, that farrier that's like, you know, I could just do so much more for horses if I had my DBM degree. Right. Uh, you know, right. And, and your idea like that they could go back if they specialized in horses and then they decided they wanted to do small animals, they could go mm-hmm. back for that additional education mm-hmm. to then become small animal vets. Right. Um, because, you know, I'm trying to think if anybody's done a study to see how many vets start out, say, in large animals and wind up in small animals. Um, you know, and, and because that's where you'd see, well, if if, you know, 90% start out as large animal, but wind up practicing small animal, then maybe they. It's 60%. It's 60%. That, yeah. It, that's, that's what um, the veterinarian, Dr. Steele, that was the, the stat that she said that of the 42 veterinarians that are graduated per year that go into equine practice within three years, 60% have transferred to small animal. Wow. And I think that's going to, you know, all the things we talked about. Um, but you know, there it comes. It's like these programs that are focused on equine. And when people go into them, their intention is to do equine. The um, admittance would be counted not on your GPA, but on your experience with horses. Right. And so I think part of those reasons we're losing some of those vets, in addition to just the, the daunting um amount of debt that you have that may not be able to be supported to be paid back in an equine practice is also, it was like, well, it looked romantic at the time, (laughs) you know, you know, when, you know, I, I, you know, always, I always thought that, you know, you know, um, just that, you know, horses were just so beautiful, you know, (laughs) you know, but if you've grown up with horses, you're, you're going to know that they're dangerous and you're going to know that they get sick on holidays and in the middle of the night and during ice storms. And, you know, so it's, it's, um, and it's just, it's going to be something that you already know that and you want to do it still. Right. I, I assume then they're, they're doing a lot of surveys to try and um, figure out kind of where people are going or how they're filtering out or why they're filtering out um, mm-hmm. um, so that they have more data to be able to make good decisions. Yeah, they, they definitely are. And, and um, that's where I think they've come up with, with some of these reasons for, you know, for not staying in veterinary practice and, and, you know, the, the, uh, 
the debt, you know, the long hours, the not ever having any kind of balance, any kind of family life. And right. those, those things can definitely be changed in, very quickly if we increase the number of equine right. veterinarians. And we change our model up. Like right. I said, we have a model more like small animal where people, uh, where you as a veterinarian have the option if you want to go and see that emergency. Maybe it's a horse that you've been working with and you're very involved in the case. And you don't want to send it off and get somebody else involved at this stage of the game. Right. But at the same time, when it's your daughter's, you know, first volleyball game and, you know, you're like, yep, no, I, I need to balance. This is family. The right. Or, you go. know, women, women veterinarians that get pregnant, it's, you know, you don't mm -hmm. want to be handling a 1500 pound beast. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just, you know, having more veterinarians and having more options, having, um, Fewer, you know, fewer hours, having more control over your your personal life, um, and and also I think having the option. I mean, we have so many amazing diagnostics. Yeah. And so, if someone an hour down the road has a, a digital X-ray machine, maybe that's an expense that you don't need to have for your practice. Maybe well, that and we haven't even touched on that, the cost of equipment outside right. of the cost of education. I mean, I've been to AAP numerous times and you walk around the floor and you look at the price tag on some of the equipment mm -hmm. that's there. And then people want the latest diagnostics, but yep. do they really understand what kind of debt that yeah. veterinarians are getting into to have that available, to have it on their truck? And yeah. not being using it to its fullest extent to pay itself back, you know. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's where, you know, that's where you can say to the client, it's like, no, I, I don't do radiographs because such and such practice down the road has state-of-the-art equipment. And I don't think we should, ha your horse should have any less than that. Right. And so that, and that was, <laughs> that was really one of the things that I hated to do more than anything else. I went out and <clears throat> radiographed so many horses out in the field with an extension cord, got all the way back to the clinic with my, you know, little solutions that I had in the back, only to find that the angle wasn't right. And, you know, and it's just, it was a half a day and it's like, I can't use these films. And, yeah. you know, and so that was just one of the, you know, one of my biggest aggravations. And I look now at the quality of radiographs that I see and I think, yeah, I might still be in a conventional practice <laughs> if I had this. So, I, I mean, just roughly, like, what is the cost of a, a mid-range price digital x-ray machine? Oh, I have no idea, but I'm sure it's it's probably, you know, 50000 I'm guessing. Yeah. I think yeah. I think that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah. So, so they're just, you know, there's so, if we, if we go into this with a, with an and both, you know, attitude, and what I am a little bit concerned that is happening is that because we have veterinarians who are the ones that are studying this and they're looking at it from the veterinarian's point of view of, you know, what would I like to have that the, the model that they're going to come out with is going to serve veterinarians very well and maybe less the horse owner and the horse. So I think the more we can get, you know, as horse owners, we can get involved and say, this is what we really need from our, edu our, our um, you know, our education system. This is what we need from you. Okay, so this is a great lead-in then to my, to my probably last question. 
maybe not. Um, what can horse owners do to voice their concerns and bring up these kinds of issues to uh, the equine veterinarian profession? I mean, how right. do we, what do we do? Well, I think when, first thing you do is you start talking with your own veterinarian, get their story, hear their point of view on things. And, you know, there, I'm not, there's not going to be probably any one person, like I say, I know the AAEP is, is really working on this, but AAP is made up of veterinarians. Right. So the more equine veterinarians are getting feedback from their clients, then the more they can, like I say, I guess there's going to be more focus on this at San Diego this year. There certainly was a huge amount of focus at San, uh, San Antonio last year. So, you know, more veterinarians are aware and they can say, well, here's what my clients are suggesting would they would be good with. You know, they would be willing to haul to a referral hospital as long as they had someone that could come out to their place to evaluate a new foal. You know, it's just. Okay, so the so the first thing is then that we can talk to our veterinarians, our existing veterinarians, the ones right. we're using, and tell them have this conversation, have the conversation yep. of right. you know what happens if you retire, right. um, what you know have you thought about this and what can I do about it or th right. this is what I I yeah. am willing to do right. Mm -hmm. So have the conversations with your veterinarian. But how do we ensure that that's going to get up to the to the powers that be well then people then people know the powers that be because i don't know who the powers that be are right now okay um, but i think that you're going to have to be going to the veterinary schools and saying can you know do you want to be the first one to do this pilot program and i would say you start i'm gonna turn on my light real quick here you want to start with maybe some of the schools that are in more rural areas and say, you know, would you like to be the, you know, what would it take to um, do a pilot program for, for, you know, like like this LMU program? You know, they had to so, come from somewhere that they put this together. And I think it's a great program, but I think we could have that and we could have. Yeah, the, we need to the, multiply that a we, lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we need to have other options. You know, it's like you, it's like, well, I'd really like to have a mixed animal practice. So this LMU program looks like that's perfect for me. And then the other person is like, I really I just want to do horses. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to do pigs, cows, goats, um, you know, dogs and cats. I just want to do horses. And then you go to the, the three year, you know, straight uh, equine DVM route. And, and, you know, we just have different, different levels, different options. And then, you, like you say, if you change your mind, you say, you know, I, I really, we lost our small animal vet in my small town, so I need to go back to school and and um, and do that. You know, I need to I need to add that, you know, to my practice. Right. So, so the second thing we can do is, if you have any contact or are near an equine, um, uh, a veterinary college, veterinary university, veterinary college, a state board. Um, I think the first thing is just start talking, finding out what is really wanted. You know, it, do we want more the model of the LMU where it's more that you, you know, it's a six and a half year program, but you can do all species or would people really prefer? I mean, I, I know for myself, it, when I would go to people's farms and they would, you know, want me to look at their goat, I would be like, you know, I don't do goats. It's like, right. well, you went to vet school, 
you should know how to do goats. And I was like, yeah, I, I think I might've had a two hours on that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think people don't realize how little time is on these, some of these, you know, it's like there's, I mean, okay. So I used to work at Dartmouth med. I'm dating myself a long time ago. Um, and I was a research assistant and I would watch these MDs come out of Dartmouth medical school and, and you just realize how little they actually knew. Yeah, right? that's why I want the internship, and that's what LMU is doing, which I think is critical, a, a paid internship so that you get supervised right. in your training. You're, you're not- And mentored, supervised mentored. mentored. Exactly, exactly. You know, I, I mean, I had speaking. that with the vet, you know, that I worked for for the first five years. I think probably maybe for the first year, I was not allowed to go on any calls by myself, and I didn't want to. Right. And, you know, and I remember the first call that I was sent on, you know, by myself. And it was to a client that we knew really, really well. And they were so, you know, supportive. And it was a horse with a colic. I was so nervous, you know, passed the stomach tube and checked for gas and reflux and all those things. And then pulled the stomach tube. And I'm like, the horses. And she just smiled and started to walk off. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't give it any oil. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I and I was horrified, and I was like, "What am I going to do?" And I finally, I called and said, "Uh," and she just turned around, brought the horse back, didn't say anything, <laughs> you know. So it's like, you know, we need that, you know. You well, you know, I think what you're describing is, and you need well, to be introduced to your clients, not when you're expected to come up with the answer for this something really serious, where the experience vet's there to hold your hand. Right. And, and veterinarians are human. Yes, <laughs> I think that's, that's the other thing is that we're all human, right? Right. Uh, yeah. It's just, I mean, I wouldn't trade my, you know, my career for anything. And I just, I look at the vets that are graduating now and I see such a different, I mean, I think about it. If, if my only option was to be in a clinic where there were multiple veterinarians and everybody, you know, just whoever was available saw the horses and, you know, you didn't get to know your clients. I mean, my clients are my best friends now. Yeah. And, you know, we've known each other for, you know, 40 plus years. Right. And, you know, I mean, I'd go to their farm and they'd be like, be there in a minute, help yourself to coffee. You know, <laughs> you know? and it's just, it, that's, there's just, you know, there's just something special about yeah. that. And, it's and a trusted the, rapport with your clients because you've been, been there for them for so long. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, as much as I want to see the best diagnostics available, you know, for the horses, and I want to see quality of life, you know, for our veterinarians, but I would just hate to see us lose that uh, going to the farm, you know, to see the horses, you know, to, like say, you know, you the, the new foal that's, you know, that you get to see that you've gotten this mare through her pregnancy and got her pregnant to, you know, and now you get to see the, and, and, you know, this is the horse that the dream horse, these people have been waiting for, and it's so special to them. And, you know, it's just, we're just, I don't want to see us lose that. I think we have that and we have the referral hospital where, you know, where you can get that um, expensive barrel horse or jumper, um, a, a, you know, a, a nuclear centography and find out why they're lame. You know, you, yeah. you've got to have, I mean, I think we can have all of the above. Right. You know. So um, do mention the, the, what you sent to me in the email, because I'll send it out to everyone. Yeah. So as far as the, my, um, 
ideas on the vet school? Yes. Okay, so here's what I um, have put together. Um, where did it go? And I'll send it out. So I think if we, if you just read kind of that bit that you were talking about. Um, so here's, here's my goal for the, the program. Um, so, so my proposal to the vet schools is to keep their current curriculum and requirement for students who desire to treat all species, research path, whatever, but also, um, offer a separate program to graduate equine only veterinarians and it but it would only allow for the practice on horses and with the with and my feeling would be that that's a straight out of school uh, assuming you've taken advanced science you know in your high school if you had you know there would be an entrance exam to prove proficiency you know in your in your sciences and your math and um which i had to take to go to i don't know if it was to apply to vet school or even just apply to Texas A&M, you know, I remember SAT, you know, your yeah. SAT, which um, my counselor was like, wow, you're really good in biology and you're really bad in math. <laughs> and I'm like, does that matter? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, we'll work with it. <laughs> so, so then, so assuming that you have, you can pass that entrance exam, you don't have to have the pre two to four years of pre-vet. I'm just not sure that we would have to have that. And, and if we want to get the cost down and we want to get these vets turned out quickly and we want to bring in rural veterinarians, I think the, the quicker we can make it happen, the better. So, so that's, um, and then the experience to, the experience with horses and desire to practice in areas in most need would have the most bearing. I mean, assuming you would have a, a basic GPA that you would have, I think the um, other school was like a, a 3.37 or whatever, a good solid B average. Because right now to get into vet school, you've got to be up there close to 4.0. Right. And, and that's, you know, not, that's great. That's wonderful, but there's more skills than that that are needed. Yeah. yeah I think you um, learn, you lose the people that are, um, maybe, you know, more out on farms working with, you know, more mm -hmm. working type people, which yeah. is what you need in the veterinary practice. It is a physical job. It is. It is. Absolutely. They know what they're getting into. Yeah. That, that is exactly right. And they're smart, but they're like ranch smart, you know, right. and, and they're, they know how to handle animals and they know what a sick animal looks like. And yeah, so those. So are, is there, is there anything on the current ex, uh, entrance exam that, um, uh, investigates whether or not they're, they're, you know, have spent their life on a farm or anything no, like that? No, and, and though, not at all. And they don't even get it. They don't even get to the interview stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the way the current system is set up. Um, and that is, you know, like I say, this LMU program is definitely the same thing. They're emphasizing experience and, and um, desire to, to go specifically into an, you know, an equine and, that if you go in, into their program, their, their pre-vet courses, and you maintain that GPA, you're guaranteed a spot. Wow. So that, that means a lot too, because right now, huge. get into huge. the pre-vet program and do all four years and never get an interview. Never right. get the opportunity to even apply to veterinarians. You can apply, but even get that but, close yeah. to getting in. So um, so I would be a two-year equine-only classroom and clinic training and a one-year paid 
internship to complete the program. And all your classes, your anatomy, your pharmacology, toxicology would all be focused on equine. So you're not necessarily learning the latest um, cancer drugs for small animal carcinomas. Right. You're, you know, you're learning for horses. And the, it's, it's not like the, the curriculum isn't already there. It would just have to be pulled out of the current curriculum, just pull your horse focus out. And um, so I think that would not be, it would have to be like newly invented. Right. And the same, the same professors that are teaching it currently in school can still be teaching it. Right. It just will have to be structured a little bit differently. Um, so I think it could definitely be done. And um, let's see. Yeah. So, so, and I would do, if this is something that didn't happen for me in vet school, maybe the vet schools are doing things differently now. I think some of them are, but we had like two years of classroom only. And then we went into clinics. If I had been having clinics at the same time I was having my classroom work, I think it would have made it so much more interesting. And also applicable. I mean, you're doing yes. your classroom work and then you're going out and looking at animals. And Right, right. Yeah. It, exactly. You, you would understand why it's so important to understand pharmacology, that that medication that you just gave, that it is going to be metabolized through the kidneys and you have a horse that's already got compromised kidneys and how that would be, you'd have to be careful using that drug. You would be you would be learning the reasons, you know, at the same time. So I and I think some of the vet schools are I mean, like I say, it's been a long time since I graduated. So I'm sure some of these changes have been made Um, at the end of the two years of classroom and the clinic learning. They you would be immersed in an internship on the job training with supervision. And, you know, maybe the schools would have to set the salaries that you would be paid and the hours that you would work to not let anybody be taken advantage of and and that would be fine but at the end of that time you take your you're going to take your state boards just like you would at, after graduating you still have to pass that state board right. so you're going to be studying along with you know doing your internship it's not going to be easy it's not going to be any easier than regular vet school it's just going to be more compressed and more species specific um, so passing a board exam written specifically for equine would allow full rights to practice. Um, let's see, uh, existing university or established equine hospitals could apply to take students for internship programs. These students would provide needed trained assistance um, to those uh, to those clinics, and the students would be receiving the training. It'd be a win-win, you know, right. for everyone. So now and this is a, a letter that you've written that is going to whom? I sent this to Dr. Foley, who's working with the committees at AAEP. Great. And he received it. He said, I'm, you know, sending it up the chain. Okay. And so, you know, we'll just go from there. But the main thing I want to know is, is, is this a model? I'll get through it and we'll see if we get feedback from people. Does this sound, you know, is this someone you would want to have, you know, working on your animals? I mean, would you support this? From your equine veterinarians and 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 ask for it, um, so that the interns would be paid a fair salary, perhaps set by the school, but this salary would be well below that that would be paid to a, a to a veterinarian that was graduated, right? And you know, and so, but the that, you know being paid for that internship there again is just anything where we can lower the debt burden and get veterinarians out there and also allow the practices that are already established to hire someone 
that they can pay a little bit less to, but they don't have all the debt they have to pay off. So that, you know, so they're still having, you know, the graduating veterinarian is still having a net income. It's just not all going to pay their debt back. In other words, it's going to lower costs for everyone. Right. Involved. Right. Because the model right now is saying basically no middle class horse owners. It's like, oh, yeah, we which can't is have that. insane. Yeah, it's we can't have say, that. But right. that's the model that they're going by because it's like, well, we can never lower the cost of education. That's never going to happen. And it's like, oh, yeah, it has to happen. So, so who is proposing this model that there will be no middle class horse owners? Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty well. Is it AAP? Is it the boards? Is it the vet schools? Who is it? Well, um, I think it's, it's the general, the people that are looking at it. I've heard it from two different, different places and, and that's, and maybe that's not a huge number, but the, the veterinarians that are in practice right now that are, you know, or that are saying this is what Dr. Steele said, and that's what Dr. Amy Grice both of them that are vocal, you know, on this subject, they're both saying the same thing. Yeah, but I mean, this is where horse owners can stand up and go, we want to have a middle class horse owners category. Right. Right. We don't that's want you to eliminate us just because we can't get a vet. Right. No, I think that's, that's exactly right. And I'm not saying what that's what the veterinarians want. I'm saying that's what they're saying. But if they're already talking about it, then yes. it's already in their mindset. It's, and yeah, it's already in their mindset. It's that this is the direction it's going. I'm not saying they approve of it or are happy with it, but it's it's the it's the facts. Well, and, and, and this is where, you know, like the when I go to Europe, I obviously I haven't been there since um, COVID, but their model is put horse uh, riding schools in communities so that everyone has access. And, you know, there's different levels of, of group classes and that th sort of thing on school horses and stuff. But you're, you develop a culture right from the beginning because it's embedded into the community as opposed to what we tend to do in this country, which is isolate. Oh, I don't want the flies. Oh, I don't want this. Oh, I don't want the smell. And we yeah. isolate it and make it less and less available. But the value of having horses in people's lives cannot be underestimated. We've yeah. been with horses forever. Yes, um, and, absolutely. You know, absolutely. you look at the European model, there's little kids riding. I mean, you go to Aquatana, my last one was 2019. And on kids day, I mean, we were swamped. Yeah. 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 If you want a healthy, you know, functional kid, you know, give them a pony. And right. Train Get them, them into right riding lessons. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, I think that we have to um, look at this from many aspects, but the fact that they're just already dictating that, you know, just pronouncing, I should say, that we're not going to have a middle class. I think that that's where well, we have to start. The writing on the wall because they're looking at the kind of salaries that veterinarians coming out of school are, you know, are having to ask for. And the, the clinics are saying, well, if that's what we have to pay a, a brand new graduate, then we're going to have to, you know, our fees are going to have to reflect that. And that's, you know, that's not going to support a middle class income to to pay those fees. I mean, even some of the fees that I've seen from people now, and I think of like, oh, my God, you know, that was something that would have been a hundred and twenty dollar, you know, total fee, total call. And it's twelve hundred. And, you know, so it's just that's that makes it hard. Um, I mean, that's it, it's just yeah, it is. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for the middle middle. And, and I think the unfortunate. Yeah, but ultimately it won't be sustainable for everyone. Because if you eliminate the middle class, you're going to eliminate horses to a very few. And then 
It's, yeah. it just, it's it we, just, we've got to change things if we don't want to go that path. Right. Yeah. So, so here's my goal of the program is graduate, graduate enough well-trained equine vets to serve horse owners in rural as well as urban areas, graduate enough equine vets to lower the burden on the small number of current vets, add enough equine vets to staff multiple emergency only and referral hospitals that would not take regular clients, but would provide 24 our care for horses needing intensive care and offer more diagnostic and surgical abilities. This would free small clinics or ambulatory vets to focus on routine needs for their regular clients while still maintaining their own quality of life. Clients would need to have a regular equine vet to refer them to an emergency clinic for intense care diagnostics. This would encourage clients to develop a relationship with an equine vet before the emergency develops. Horses that are unruly are clients who are difficult would have trouble developing a relationship with a vet and there would be encouraged to be better stewards of their animals. They would not be able to go directly to an emergency clinic on their own. This would serve the horses as well as the vets. And this might be in there too, where you have that, um, you know, that um, concierge type service mm -hmm. that you just have to make sure that's one of the services that's provided you know, maybe I only see your horse once a year for a Coggins test, but you pay me X amount. If it does have an emergency, then I'm able to refer you and, right. and I will do prescriptions for you online or whatever. That's part of the service. Um, but, you know, I have one other question for you, actually. Um, how is AI going to impact all of this? Well, let me finish and then um, we, we can talk about that because I'm already looking at that. So two more things. So many very hardworking and caring students will be able to pursue a veterinary degree, which would not have been possible with our current system. Many of these individuals will have extensive background with horses and understand the challenges of dealing with them in a safe manner. We've talked about that. They will already have established contacts within the horse world and have jobs waiting for them upon graduation. Um, there's currently a challenge that many lay practitioners offering service such as chiropractic, dental, acupuncture, osteopathy. With our current system, it is difficult to add these modalities to an already overloaded curriculum. It is not ideal for lay practitioners to be providing these services, but they do work and clients desire, they do good work and clients desire to have them. I believe that many of the most qualified and serious lay practitioners would apply for and go through a three-year program to have the training to be an equine vet and offer their modalities um, without any friction, you know, with from boards or from colleagues, they would have be on equal status. And um, yeah, so I think that the, I believe, you know, believe that the answer lies in lowering the cost and time involved to receive a doctorate in equine medicine. And I think this would be a, a success for schools providing it, the students, current vets and the owners and the horses. So I, I think, so um, I'd be just curious to see what people think about, you know, advantages, disadvantages, um, what the thought is. So then to go on to the AI, I think AI has the potential for, I'm looking to use it as an education tool. I've been, I've been um, writing books, doing, um, speaking at meetings, writing magazine articles, um, doing podcasts for 30 years, you know, ever since the internet came up and you could start doing that. The challenge is though, 
is I don't even remember everything that I've written. I mean, it's just, it's just so much, so much to try and learn. And most horse owners are not wanting to be horse experts. There's, you know, yes, there's basic, basic skills that you need to know and you need to teach your horse. But as far as going home and studying for five hours about, you know, horse anatomy or, um, you know, how the stomach works or whatever, that's not their, I get that. That's not really what they want to do. Where I think, where I'm going with AI and I'm, I'm working with a company to help me do this is to create, get all my information loaded on a hub where it can be searched with an interactive AI that's trained on my material. So it can be trusted if you like my style. You know, that's why I say, you know, find a vet that you like their style. Me, Joyce Harmon, uh, Peggy Fleming, you know, who, Kim Hinneman. I mean, you know, find someone that, that, that you can agree with. I mean, maybe a, your conventional vet, like I say, the Dr. Thal that has this um, stall side or horse, horse side app. You know, you can tell from, from going through that, that he has put a lot into this. And if, if you're his client, I would think you would want to have that app and you wouldn't want to know it backwards and forwards. So that's where I think AI could be used constructively is in the education process so that as you go out to the barn and your horse isn't eating and you're thinking, oh, I might have a colic. I wonder what kind of colic this is. And you can go and you can, instead of trying to go to my website and find articles on colic, you can go to the AI program and say, what are the symptoms of an impaction colic? And you can get those, that pulled out of the information available to you. It's like, what can I give for an impaction colic that's safe? And, you know, of course, you've called your veterinarian and you've said, I may have a colic, but you've got, then you've got things that you can do in that moment that are safe, that are proven, that aren't going to hurt your horse, can only help your horse. And you're, you know, you have, you can learn it right then in that moment when you need that information. That's, that's what I'm hoping to, and, and it, like I say, it's information that you didn't just search on the internet that you have no idea. Came from a trusted source. Yeah, it came from a trusted source, exactly. And so, that's the biggest problem with the internet and with AI is whether or not it it's, comes from a trusted source, uh, right. a real and, human being in the end. And, and, and the thing is, something that you get on the internet might be true in a different situation. Situation, right. It's not that it's wrong information. It's just not, you know, the information that I teach, I, tr I have, I try to teach you why I'm saying that in this situation. You know, well, why you would give NUCs for an impaction colic because it helps to gently stimulate motility. You know, why you would give probiotics an impaction colic because the healthy bacteria stimulate motility so that you have a, yeah, you have a source that's educating you and, and trustworthy that applies to your current, you know, situation. Awesome. Yeah. And um, that's the thing is, you know, people just go to the internet, but what I find is, a lot of times they fail to ask the next question and it's often the next question yes. that actually, you know, I have an impaction colic, but do you have a temperature? Uh, right. you know, are the feet warm? Uh, you know, has the horse been drinking? You know, these, the, it's the next question and we're not. That's why, that's why I'm hoping that this, I mean, I think the power of AI to be interactive where the, cause what, what they, what this, what they say is you can create a digital you. So, 
can the AI that searched all my information that knows all those things are important to make, can that AI program come back and say, have you checked your horse's fever? What's your horse's capillary refill time? That can actually interact and get you thinking. With the right questions, yeah. With the right questions, exactly. Exactly, instead of just giving you information, but actually interact just in the same way that I would interact if I had the, if I was on the phone with the client. Yeah. All right. Well, you're developing this right now, right? I am. And, and I'm actually going to be looking, I mean, I'm not sure how long, I mean, this is all so far over my head that you can't even imagine, but I'm working with, you know, with some people that are helping me develop it. You know, they're like 12. So they know yeah. all this. <laughs> I look at their videos and I'm thinking, have you graduated from high school yet? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But they, you know, they know what they're doing. Yeah. So they're helping me with it. And when I have it ready for beta testing, I'm actually going to be interested in finding some people that maybe, you know, are from different um, backgrounds and have different activities with horses and maybe some that are in the holistic um, thinking and some that are not to do some beta testing and find out, you know, how we can tweak this to really make it a valuable um, help for people. I'm so, sure we can find people to beta test it for you. Yeah. So if they'll kind of let you know, or, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I mean, I can give my email out, you know, if people want to contact me, I'm fine to do that if you're okay with it. Yeah. But, and I'm just thinking when you're ready, uh, I can just put it out to my, my population, both in, you know, social media okay. and my, and my email list and just, and then I can contact you directly. Cause I think if we tell them now before you're ready, yeah, you, it's you, not time yet. It's right. You so know, when you're ready, when you are it's ready, still a, it's still a, a dream in process. Yeah. You'll let yeah. me know. And maybe what we'll do is we'll just do a whole webinar on it. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Cause I want, I want people that are new to horses, people that have 10 horses, people that have one horse, people that compete. I want to see, you know, yeah, we, you need, we need a broad to make this useful. Right. Exactly. To test it out and make sure it yeah. works. That'd be awesome. Okay. Super. Well, Madeline, we're almost at an hour and a half, and I think it, um, it's getting um, time for people to go have dinner or whatever, depending yeah. on their time. The one thing we didn't touch on is one of the questions about vet techs. Oh, okay. I'm all for vet techs. But I also think that some of these veterinarians that are in an internship program could also be coming to the farm and doing some routine procedures, even though they're not a fully qualified vet, but they're that in-between that they're in training. But yeah, I think utilizing vet techs, utilizing interns, um, there's just, yeah, all of that needs to be in the model. Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming back. And, um, you know, like it's just been incredible and it's such an important topic. So I really appreciate you taking the time to to share your knowledge and information. And certainly what you're proposing um, is really helpful because, you know, we we out here in the, you know, non-veterinary world, we don't really know what's, that, what's going on in the veterinary world in per terms of how they're approaching this problem. So yeah. it's just really great to, to hear it from your perspective um, because I, there's so many things that you brought up in these two webinars that I hadn't even considered. Yeah, I, we, I just know that there's a problem, right? But yeah. we don't know like the, the behind the scenes. So that's been really, really helpful. Yeah, I did not realize it was this bad, you know, until the AAP convention yeah. last year yeah. no I, I i've been hearing it for the past you know actually year but probably the past six months it's been getting louder um well I, yeah it is 
and it's, I think it's because of the problem is is deepening. But maybe we could actually do something before it hits total crisis level. Right, because your suggestions are fantastic, and I think there's you know that they. I hope that they seriously take a look at this, and that's why I'm going to encourage everybody to talk to their local vet so we can get this up the food chain and and come up with good solutions. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, and thank you everybody. Just let everybody know all your friends. Tell them about this webinar. I'll get it posted up soon, and um, it's every horse owner should listen to to Dr. Ward's discussion on the vet crisis looming in our neighborhood. So take Thanks, care. Andy. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.